Wholehearted giving. Uh, we're looking at this subject partly because in March we have our annual gift days and it's appropriate for that. But we don't want to emphasize money as a church. We don't want to emphasize giving. And you know there are some churches around that do that and often it's very manipulative and it's wrong. And you've probably heard of prosperity theology and a pastor might stand up and say, give all you can to God and then you'll be rich and wealthy like me. And what that theology tends to produce isn't a church full of rich and wealthy people, but a rich and wealthy pastor who receives and benefits from all the gifts. That's why he looks so good at the front. And we couldn't possibly have that in this church. We couldn't have any rich or wealthy pastors. So we're not going to do that. But Jesus does teach a lot about money, about giving, and about generosity. And the other series we're in is The Road to Jerusalem. Obviously, we're in the season of Lent coming up to uh, the Easter weekends, thinking about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And there are quite a number of stories in that season of teaching and the season of Jesus' life around giving and money and uh, people's extravagant giving. And we want to reflect on those a little bit this morning. Someone said that money is a deeply spiritual issue. Money is a deeply spiritual issue. And some people think there's kind of church and spirituality over there and money and finance and the rest of life over there. But we don't believe in a sacred-secular divide. They're, They're intertwined. And God's interested in the whole of life. And there's a lot summed up in our finances and how we use them. How our attitudes towards them says a lot about what's going on spiritually. And someone else said it's like a bit of like a, a litmus test. If you're selfish or stingy or faithless with your money, you're probably not doing well spiritually either. You might be able to look good, look really spiritual in a worship service. But if God's love for people and generosity of heart isn't touching and moving your heart, and shaping what you do with your money, then you're probably not doing very well spiritually. It's like a a litmus test. And we do want to do well spiritually, and we do want to grow closer to God. But the reality is that uh, not all of us have lots of of funds, or we feel we don't. Money too tight to mention. Uh, The old song by Simply Red, do you relate to that? And obviously I realize that many people are under pressure financially. It's difficult, and the cost of living seems to go up all the time. Uh, I volunteer alongside Gary and Paul and Chris and others at Lewisham Food Bank, and we see people that are really struggling. So we're not, uh, not lacking in understanding that it's a real difficulty. Finances can be a real problem. And debt is a massive issue as well. It's a terrible pressure on people, there are suicides because of people in debt. And we want to to not pile the pressure on, but to say, come and get closer to God. Come and be in the flow of faith and love. Come and share the issues you have with money. And if you're in debt, get help to get out. It's really, really difficult. And we don't want people to get deeper into debt Money is tight. Money is tight. Can you relate to that? Do you relate to that empty pocket there? And often it's not a case of how much money is left at the end of the month, but how much month is left at the end of the money. 
and that's a reality that people uh, deal with. Uh, someone else said, money talks, but all it says to me is goodbye. So there's a real issue there. But even though money's tight, when I've looked at it myself and, and felt I'm in that position, I can say, it's ne- when I've looked at my finances, it's never been that money's tight for me because I've given too much to the work of God. That's not been the reason. I may not have enough money. Something else may have gone wrong. But money's never been tight because I've given too much to the work of God. Sometimes I've got a calculator out to make sure I haven't given too much. Uh, But it's not the case. Money may be tight, but that's not the reason. And we all have disposable income. We've all got a bit of money to spend. And uh, like I say, we're mindful of people that are really struggling and things are tight. But we've all got some money. We all spend money on something and we need to think what can we do with that what would God want us to do with that so have we got anything to give anyone know who that uh, dapper looking man is any guesses it's not me in a former life thank you Pete probably not the most famous person in the universe his name's Simon Ward I know there's another Simon Ward that's a well-known actor that's not him Uh, he's in the fashion industry And you might think that's very materialistic and wasteful, maybe very superficial, maybe exploitative of workers. So the question marks around the fashion industry. Uh, Simon's the brains behind London Fashion Week and the former CEO of the British Fashion Council. He's also, I'm told, a committed Christian, a worship leader, songwriter, a Christian broadcaster, and a mentor of other Christian business people. Uh, And he feels that he doesn't want to reject fashion. He's had a career in that industry, but he wants to be there as a Christian in that place. And rather than maybe rejecting industries or feeling, you probably think every industry is dodgy. He wants to be there and continue to be committed in his faith and promote justice and compassion and, and tolerance in the fashion industry. But the reason I put him up there is uh, he estimated something. Any idea why that figure is up there next to his photo? What number's that? 30 billion pounds. What does that figure represent? No, it's not how much money he's given away. I told him we'd take a tithe of that quite happily, but... uh, How much people spend on fashion? That's kind of getting in the right area. Fiona's getting even closer, so thank you, Peace, and thank you, Fiona. He estimates that in this country, there are 30 billion pounds worth of unworn, unused clothes in our wardrobes. 30 billion pounds worth of unused, unworn clothes in our wardrobes. Obviously, they don't all belong to you. But there is money around. There is money around. And most of us have some money. And our image-conscious consumer society encourages us to waste it, to overspend, overconsume. What's God's perspective on money? What's God's heart for money? And the theme is very much wholeheartedness. As I said, we're particularly focusing the next few weeks on the the last weeks of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we started a series in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says this, that Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem. He set his face like a flint to go there, knowing 
he would suffer and die. But he'd do it to forgive our sins and then to rise again in victory. But there was huge cost in completing that walk, in going that road to Jerusalem. But nothing would deflect Jesus because of his wholehearted love for us. Rejection won't deflect him. Desertion by his followers won't deflect him. Imprisonment won't deflect him. False accusations won't deflect him. Torture won't deflect him. Agony of heart and mind in the Garden of Gethsemane won't deflect him. He's going to give everything. He's going to lay down his life for us. He's totally wholehearted. He loves us to the uttermost. God so loved, he gave. And we want to be inspired in this season by Jesus' wholehearted love and commitment. He's going to give everything. And we want that spirit of love and generosity to inspire our living and our giving. A passage I just want to to mention briefly before we look at some stories from uh, the last couple of weeks of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's something we looked at at, in my house group this week and we looked at last year in this church. There's lots of excellent stuff on giving in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And let's just read this out. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So there's a wholeheartedness demonstrated by Jesus. And the grace of God gets in in our lives by the Holy Spirit and gives us the grace and freedom and ability to give as well. It's not grit your teeth and give a bit. It's receiving the grace of God to encourage you. That heart and spirit of Jesus flows through our life and overflows in giving. And the church had two things. They had severe trial and extreme poverty but it didn't stop them laying hold of God's grace and giving and excelling in the grace of giving. So that's Paul teaching in 2 Corinthians. There's three stories that struck me from the road to Jerusalem, and I want to look at them just briefly. And those are three illustrations of those stories. Uh, What about the one on top left? What story is that? Zacchaeus, and what happens in that story? It's in Luke 19. What happens in the story of Zacchaeus? He gives money, yep. Pete? (laughs) Yep. He wants to see Jesus. Yep, that's right. So Jesus is going along that road, and Zacchaeus runs ahead, climbs up into the sycamore fig tree to see Jesus. And Jesus reached him, and he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. And Zacchaeus was worldly. He was selfish. He was a collaborator with the occupying Roman army. He was a crook ripping people off. But he wanted to know Jesus. And he met Jesus. He received his forgiveness. He received his salvation. And he had a spiritual revolution in his heart. And he was released not to hoard for himself, but to give generously and to make restitution. And there's a learning from that. We're not Zacchaeuses, we're not ripping people off, we're not fraudulent tax collectors. But we want to, even if we've messed up in giving, even if we've got it wrong, even if we've failed completely, if we want Jesus, he can come into our lives and a spiritual revolution can take place in us and we can have a freedom and a generosity and a love in our giving. It's a wonderful learning for us. And I want to be radically impacted by the Spirit of God. And if God is impacting me, I should expect change to happen and change to happen in the area of my money and finances. In the area of restitution, I was thinking of a young man who used to come to this church and uh, he came to know Jesus and it made you think about his life. And he was still quite young, but he had a Saturday job for some time and he'd nicked money and stuff from his employer uh, in his Saturday job. And then he was convicted by Jesus to do something about it. So he read the story about Zacchaeus, and he had a chat with me, and he said he was going back to his work. And he went in, and he paid them back the money that he'd taken and the value of the things that he'd stolen, and four times more, and gave it back to his former employer. I don't, know if his, I don't think his employer dropped to his knees and became a Christian or whatever. I know he didn't get arrested either. But this young man was impacted by Jesus and wanted to be generous and wanted to make restitution. The second story on the left there. You, you can't see it from the back so clearly. They put a new light in there, which uh, doesn't do much good for our... Uh, projection it's the poor widow sometimes story called the widow's mite or the two small coins what happens there she had very very little and she gave it all so mark 12 jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money so that represents jesus and some of the disciples interesting jesus is interested in what people are giving at this point. He's watching what people are giving. The crowd were putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. I want to thank you, Pete, for all the hundreds of pounds you gave this morning, just to, just to say that's really good. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. 
And it's a wonderful example of wholehearted giving. And I love God's economy. It's not so much the absolute amount, is it? If you're in poverty, your two pence could count more than, more than someone else's 2,000 pounds. In God's economy, spiritually, it could make more difference. From her point of view, it was an extravagant gift. It was a gift of great love for God. And it was a gift in faith. She gave what she had, and then she was relying on the Lord. I don't think she gave irresponsibly to make herself dependent on others. But she gave in faith because she loved the Lord and she trusted the Lord would take care of her. And that's a wonderful example again of wholehearted giving in the, on the story of Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. And the last picture, again, I don't know how clear it is at the back. Yep, washing Jesus' feet, breaking the alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked the woman harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. And that's true. She gave her savings. She gave something that could have paid maybe for her old age or whatever. She saw something in the Lord Jesus. And she wanted to bless him prophetically. She anointed him for his burial. And she wasn't concerned about money for herself. She just wanted to give extravagantly to Jesus. And just before that, there are men in the story, and they're religious leaders, and they want to kill Jesus, and they come up with the idea of giving some bribe money to Judas. Judas does betray Jesus, and he takes that money. So there's men that want to kill Jesus and give money to get that done. There's a man that takes money to betray Jesus. But here, there's a woman who gives the most precious and expensive thing she has as an extravagant offering to Jesus, and it's something that speaks to us and should touch our hearts today. And on from here, women prove to be the most loyal and faithful disciples in the crucial last days of Jesus' earthly life. So on the road to Jerusalem, there's wholehearted giving, and hopefully that should inspire us and speak to us. When we say wholehearted, we kind of think feelings. Yeah, we say our, our mind is the center of our thoughts and rational thinking, and we kind of feel things from the heart. So should our giving just be a knee-jerk reaction if I feel like it? Well, actually, if you read the word heart in the Bible, it doesn't, it's not used in the same way as, as we use it, just as the, the center of feelings and emotions The biblical heart combines our feelings, but also our thinking and also our will. 
So it's not just the feelings, but the biblical heart is about clear thinking. The biblical heart is about our decisions and choices as well as our feelings. And I think our wholehearted giving should wrap around all those things. Uh, It's not wrong to feel uh, a need to identify with people, uh, friends of ours uh, in Turkey that we we meet, they went to an earthquake area and their hearts immediately go out to families whose homes had crumbled or they'd seen a child whose hands were burnt and could get no medical treatment. Immediately they wanted to raise money so that child could have operations and get the use of his hand back again. It's, it's good to be touched in our hearts, but our giving can be comprehensive. It's our thinking, our planning. We can work out how much we should give. And uh, a simple uh, Bible encouragement is to give a tithe. And a lot of people think tithe is just a a word for anything you give to God. But it means 10%. And it's there as an inspiration, as a challenge to give 10% of my resources to God. It's simple to work out. You don't need a calculator to work out 1 in 10, do you? A very simple thing, but it helps us. And we need to, to look through our finances and make decisions about it we need to work it out and uh, a guy that used to be in our church guy called simon uh, said in his head he was much more generous than uh, he was in reality so he just thought i'm tithing i'm giving 10 percent to god and then he went to his bank account and calculated it and he worked out he'd only been giving about three percent and so he said in my head i'm much more generous than i actually am in practice and he had to to do some thinking and work out the figures. And then the will and the decisions is actually not just to have good intentions, but to put it into practice and take action and do the giving. And our wholehearted giving can involve our feelings, our clear thinking and calculations, and then our decisions and our choices. I was thinking about one generous gift before I finish with a few personal observations, and I'll hand back to Peter for worship and prayer. We uh, helped start the food bank locally. Lewisham Food Bank's been running uh, for about seven years and as I said earlier on there's several people here that volunteer there and when we were thinking about it we needed £3,000 to start it. £3,000. And a person came up to me, I won't say who they are, uh, and gave me the £3,000 for the food bank to start. And it was a wonderful gift. Uh, that £3,000 wasn't small change to them. In fact, I don't know anyone where £3,000 would be small change. And they could have kept it for themselves. What could they have done with £3,000? What would you do with £3,000? Cars, holiday, whatever. A substantial amount. But they chose just to give it to start food bank. And now, seven years on, looking back with that perspective, maybe something like 30,000 people have been fed through the work of Food Bank and prayed for and helped and advised. And that's just a lovely perspective for me. I, you know, I could think I could use £3,000 for myself, but looking back after a few years, how much more? has that meant in blessing hundreds of volunteers, 30,000 people fed, 
a community project run for a long period of time, it's worth it to make that offering to God. It really is worth it. And I thought to make it practical, I'd think through a little bit of my own experience. And what I've found is I started off very much with natural selfishness. My money's my own, that's it. I want to do what I want to do with it as far as I'm able, uh, apart from paying bills and things you need to do. There's a natural selfishness. That's what I found in my own heart and life. And then I started reading the Bible, and I got challenged by Bible teaching, and the Bible teaches to give, and I had to get to grips with that teaching. I was challenged by it, but I was also inspired and encouraged by it. And I read about tithe, a tenth of income, and I was challenged and inspired by that. And then I found I was tempted not to give. So it wasn't an issue for me originally, and the Bible started to challenge me, my faith in Jesus started to challenge me, and then I was tempted not to give. Well, I know I, know I should. I believe what God says in his word, but I don't really want to do that, so I'm not going to. I didn't get around to it. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. We'd like to do things, and we don't. And there's also comparison came into my head as well. And you kind of compare yourself with other people. And you can kind of have a comparison out of poverty. Well, I haven't got much money, but Pete has, so he should do all the giving. I mean, come on. You know, comparing ourselves, he's much more wealthy than me. He should do the giving. He's got the money. Or a comparison of superiority. I think I'm just so close to God, I give more than most other people do. But forget it. It's between you and God. Don't get into comparisons. And then we obey, and we actually start giving. You may start off with a one-off gift. I'll probably put a few coins in the offering first time I went to church, and probably didn't give anything else for another couple of months after that. But then start to give regularly. Start to obey God's word, set up a standing order and, uh, and give regularly to the church. And then once you've started to give, I found there's often a battle. Something goes wrong. Something hits your finances. There's a real battle. Uh, and I remember one time years ago being determined to give, prayed about giving, been to a prayer meeting, was praying about financial needs in God's work. And then driving away from that, my car broke down. And uh, there was just something drastically wrong with it. I managed to get it towed to a mechanic. They couldn't work out what was wrong with it. And in the end, they took the engine out and, and had the machines, uh, the heads remachined, and it cost hundreds of pounds. So I was kind of going to give. I was really excited about giving. Then I got a big financial hit. And I think there's a battle around giving, and you may have that experience and actually, ironically, uh, with gift days coming up today, I put my car in a couple of weeks ago for one small thing. And then you get the phone call. Like, There's something else much worse wrong with it. This is going to cost loads more. So this car thing seems to be a battle uh, for me. So there's a battle. But then if you still decide to give as you're able to give, then you can break through and give regularly and give responsibly. And I've found over a long, long time God's amazing provision God provides for our needs. Our real needs are met by God. And so looking back 30, 40 years, just thinking of having nothing, giving up my job, um, starting to work for God without an income, it's absolutely amazing. It must be God. 
that provision has come. And then being in blessing. God's blessed me. And as, as you give, God blesses you and you have more to give. And you can live in the flow of God's blessing. So that's a bit of my experience, and maybe you'll relate to that. Maybe you'll be somewhere along that track, just starting to give, giving something and then taking a financial hit, and, but breaking through. And I pray that you'll be in a place of provision from God and in a flow of God's blessing. So as we close our meeting, let's, let's ask Jesus to speak to us about how to be like him in wholeheartedness and how to give wholeheartedly for the kingdom of God.